Good morning. Good to have all of you at the Oasis this morning. We're glad you've joined us, and especially those of you that may be visiting with us and those of you who are watching from your homes today, wherever that may be. A couple of things before the message this morning. Uh, I do want to take this time to thank Dana Johnston and Amanda Mason and all of the incredible people that showed up very early to set up outside this morning. Can we show them our appreciation for that? Yes. Starting also the first Sunday in May, our youth are going to be joining us in either the 9 or 11 service. There's going to be some shifts going on as we grow as a church, and obviously our youth group is growing as well. So speaking of that, the youth leadership team would like to meet with all youth parents next Sunday between services. So obviously sometime between 10 and 11, the youth leadership team would like to meet with parents right here in the auditorium between services. And then many of you know that next Saturday we are having a baptism. And we've been asking folks to sign up for that. And I'd like to meet with all of you for just a moment, just literally like a minute after the services today. So if you're here at nine and you want to be baptized next Saturday, uh, please come up and just see me for just a moment after the service at nine or 11. If you'd like to be a part of that baptism and you haven't already signed up, you come too. Uh, you might even be here today and you might give your heart to Jesus this morning. You come too. Because the first step of obedience to the Lord is baptism. As soon as we accept Christ as our Savior, we should be baptized. And I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized after placing your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that next Saturday and come see me. If you'd like to be rebaptized, we've done that as well. You're more than happy to be able to do that. We have rebaptized a lot of people over the 38 years that we uh, have been here. So anyway, I, I wanted to talk about that and also mention that if you just like to come and show up and just celebrate with those who are being baptized, be a witness to the baptism next week at Toby and Marsh's house, there is a little sheet of paper out at the information table that's got their address, gate code, all of that on it so that you know how to get to that house for baptism next week, okay? Just pick one of those up on your way out. This morning... We are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. We are just continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke this morning, looking at the story of Jesus. And we are going to be looking at the passage between verses 20 and 30 in Luke chapter 17. All right? And in this passage, I want to share some things preliminarily with you this morning before we actually get in to the message as, as a way of sort of setting the context of what's going on here. First of all, in this passage, you will see that Jesus is continually referring to himself as the son of man, the son of man. It, it is actually Jesus's favorite title for himself. He calls himself the son of man more than anything else in the Bible. Why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? Primarily because it is a phrase that reminds us that he is here to identify with us as human beings. 
See, Jesus is 100% God, okay? He is God of very God. He, he has all the God that God can be, okay? But he's also 100% human. No one else like Jesus. 100% God, 100% human. And as God, he understands everything about what it is to be human because he created us, and God knows all things. But so that you and I may know that God was willing by experience to place himself in a human body and to deal with all of the things that you and I as humans have to deal with, then God became a man. That's what Christmas is all about, you see. God becoming a man and coming here with us. So that's primarily what Jesus is emphasizing when he uses the phrase son of man. He is, as God, identifying with us, going through everything that we would ever go through as a human being. The other thing that Jesus, though, is primarily teaching in this passage to those who are following him at this point and who are interested in what Jesus has to say is he is teaching on the now and the not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. You see, in God's plan, there was always going to be two phases to the kingdom, okay? There is the now phase when Jesus came and is still here, and there is the not yet phase. The now phase primarily is spiritual. It is primarily what you and I would say is invisible and non-physical, okay? But there is coming a day where Jesus Christ, the king, is going to come to earth and set up a literal, visible, physical kingdom on this earth for all of his followers. And before he does that, he's going to lay aside and put aside all those on the earth that do not want him as their king. Okay? Two different aspects. And, and the reason this is so important is because this is the reason that many Jews primarily missed the first coming of Jesus and did not embrace him as their Messiah because they never saw or understood the kingdom in two phases. When Jesus came and claimed to be the Messiah the first time, they figured, okay, he's coming He's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to lay aside the yoke that we are living under. And he's going to make everything right on earth. And he's going to vindicate us as his people. But that's not why he came the first time. And we're going to talk about that. And Jesus is going to talk about that in this passage of Scripture. In fact, what precipitates all of this in verse 20 is we learn that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, at some point in Jesus' ministry, ask him a question. Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? Because, listen, there was nothing that was more significant, more important, that the, that the Jewish people especially were not looking forward to than the coming 
of the kingdom. But again, remember, in their minds, that meant a literal, at this point, physical, visible kingdom. And Jesus says, says, the kingdom of God, the way you are looking at it, is not going to come by observing signs. You're not going to say, well, there it is at this point, or here it is, because it's not going to be something that you see with your visible eyes or physical eyes. But then notice what he says at the end of verse 21. He says, behold, or for indeed, he says, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. It's already here. Why? Well, first of all, a kingdom needs a king, a ruler. And Jesus saying, I'm here. I'm the king. And wherever I am acknowledged and recognized and honored, that's where my kingdom is. So even today, for those of us who recognize and acknowledge and honor Jesus Christ as our king, who is ruling and reigning in our hearts, that's where his kingdom is. But Jesus is also saying to them, look, I have manifested as the king of the universe. Already in my earthly ministry on earth, I have already manifested my authority and power over disease, because Jesus has already healed many people throughout his earthly ministry. Instantaneously, completely, Jesus healed people and showed, I, as the king of the universe, have power and authority over all disease. He's also demonstrated in his earthly ministry, I have power and authority as the king of the universe over all demonic forces. Because we have seen throughout our study of Luke that Jesus has been confronted by demonic forces and by people possessed by demons. And he has been able to, to cast them out. He has shown that he has authority and power. They have to submit and surrender to everything that Jesus says. He is over all demonic forces. And Jesus has also, even at this point in his ministry, shown that he has power and authority as the king of the universe over death because he has literally raised people from the dead. So Jesus is saying, if you are looking for the kingdom, meaning at this point, you're looking for the king of that kingdom, and you're looking for him to be able to manifest his power and authority over disease and the demonic and death, and you are looking for that one, he's here. And the kingdom of God is already in your midst. Again, we know that to be true here at the Oasis Church. We have seen Jesus' power and authority, even as Nicole was praying, over those in our own church family that Jesus has healed of diseases. We have seen him rule and put his authority over those who have been either oppressed or possessed by demonic forces, you see. And, and we have no fear of death anymore as a Christian because Jesus came to set us free from our fear of death and break the power that the devil had over death. So in that way, 
Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Do you recognize it? Do you acknowledge it? But then if you look at verse 25, I want you to look there for a moment. Jesus says, but first, he, the son of man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is saying, I've got to get you to understand that I'm not here now to set up my visible, physical, earthly kingdom in that way. I came the first time because I needed to make a way for human beings to be a part of my kingdom. Because you can't be a part of my kingdom apart from my sacrifice as your substitute on the cross. Because from God's perspective, who's a holy God, and we are sinful human beings, there is a gap, there is a chasm, there is a bridge there that you and I cannot cross. And the only way that we as human beings can have a relationship with a holy God is by God making a way. Because we can't make our own way to God. And that's why Jesus came the first time. That's why he came primarily to go to Jerusalem at the end of his ministry and to die as the Lamb of God who would be able to take away the sin of the world, you see. Or as the prophet Isaiah says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The judgment that we should have been given was now placed upon him as our substitute so that we could be made whole and by his stripes we are healed. Amen. For the one who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is why Jesus came the first time. For Jesus suffered for sins once, the apostle Peter writes, the just for the unjust, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And God demonstrated his love for us, Paul says in the book of Romans, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, you can't understand the king and his kingdom without understanding the great love that he has for all of us as human beings. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. And that's why Jesus came the first time. Not to set up his kingdom, but to make a way for those of us to be a part of his kingdom who were separated from God by our sin. And through him being our substitute on the cross and taking our sin and our penalty and our judgment that we were due because of being sinners, Jesus took that on himself and in exchange for that offers us salvation for all of eternity. 
Have you received that free gift of salvation? Listen, folks, there's no better day to get saved than on Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023. That would be amazing for you to finally go, you know what? I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I've been trying to be a good enough person, a moral enough person to do enough good works in my life. I've been striving to be good enough to somehow gain God's approval or, or merit his, his love. Listen, that's not the way we get to God because none of us can be good enough. We'd have to be perfect. And that's why the Bible teaches, for by grace are we saved through faith. That even not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should have anything to boast about. Amen. See, that's the difference between the God of the Bible and of man's religion. Religion is man's attempt to try to reach to God. That will never happen. God of the Bible says, I want a personal relationship with you, and the only way you can have that is through the way that I have provided, and that's Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no salvation in any other than Jesus Christ. Even he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Therefore, Jesus is saying, I came the first time as king, but I also came as the king who loved you enough to die for you and to die in your place so that you could be part of my eternal kingdom. Have you made that decision, that choice in your life? Folks, this is deadly serious. We're talking about eternity here. We're not just talking about a lifespan here of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth. I'm talking about eternity here. Where are you going to spend eternity? Do you know if you were to die today where you would go? Are you sure? Because the Bible teaches that God has laid all of this out for us so that we can have the assurance of our salvation, not when we die, hoping that we're good enough or hoping that we've done the, the enough right things to get there, but that we can have that assurance now and know that we are a child of God now and know that when we die, we're going to heaven now so that we don't ever have to live in fear of death, that we know exactly what's going to happen to us when we die. For the Bible teaches to be absent from our physical body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus even said that the day he was crucified on the cross. There was a thief next to him who placed his personal faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. First, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. In fact, in verse 22, Jesus wants to give courage and, and, and help his followers to see the endurance and the perseverance they're going to need between the first time he came and the second time he's going to come. Because notice what Jesus then says in verse 22. 
He says, the days are coming. Because notice he talks to his disciples now in verse 22. He says, the days are coming where you will desire. It's a very strong word. It, it means to yearn for, to crave, even to lust after, to set your heart upon just one of the days of the Son of Man. But notice what Jesus says. You will not see it. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, I understand that between my first coming and the second coming, when I set up my kingdom, things are going to get really hard, really bad on earth, really difficult. The Bible teaches that, that as we move through history, it's going to get harder and harder and harder because the Bible teaches that the love of people is going to grow cold. People are going to be more hateful, they're going to hate each other more. There's going to be more and more violence throughout the world. And we see that in our own society and in our own country and in the world today. Things are not getting better, folks. We're not evolving into some higher, you know, thing that, that the evolutionists tell us that that's the way it's going to be. No, things are actually getting worse on the earth. And I don't feel like even as a pastor of faith that I have to convince even people of non-faith that. That's pretty self-evident that things aren't getting better on earth. They're getting worse. They're getting more complicated. They're getting more difficult. They're getting more challenging. The Bible says that people will go from bad to worse. And Jesus is acknowledging that. That's why he's saying, I'm going to have followers at some point that's going to just go, Jesus, I just wish I could just be, have one day of your kingdom because it's getting bad down here. And I just want you to come back and make everything right because it's getting really hard. But Jesus is saying, look, you got to be patient. You got to persevere. You've got to endure because the Lord is not slow concerning his promise to come back. He is patient and long suffering. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Peter said. You see, the reason he may be delaying his coming is because he's waiting for a few more individuals to come to faith in him. And maybe a few of those are right here in this auditorium or those who are watching from their homes this morning. It may be you. Thank God that God is patient. But God then needs his own people to say, okay, God, I know that you will give me the grace and the strength and the wherewithal to be able to deal with the hard times that I've got to live through. If that's what you're calling me to, then you'll give me everything that I need to do it. I just need to keep trusting you no matter how hard it gets on earth. Because Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, he says, don't get caught up in all the hype. He says, when people start saying, oh, look, there he is, or here he is, he, Jesus says, don't go out and chase after them. Even in my lifetime, you know, I have lived through as a pastor all these people who come out and go, Jesus is coming in such and such a date and in such and such a time, and then they look so foolish after he doesn't come. Folks, if you hear of anybody, I don't care who he is, what kind of 
theologian you may think he is, what kind of pastor or whatever minister or person or prophet or whatever he claims to be, if any human being sets a date for the kingdom of God to come, they are wrong because the Bible says no one knows the time or the hour. Jesus says don't get caught because he understands People are so anxious for him to come that we start doing crazy things and thinking crazy things. And Jesus is saying, you got to stay calm and composed and not get caught up in all the craziness of the days in which you're living and not start chasing after this thing and chasing after that thing. Stay grounded in your faith in me. Oh, my goodness, just a couple years ago with the pandemic and everything, I even saw Christians and churches and stuff just go off the rails as if the world was coming to an end. I'm thinking to myself, in fact, I even talked about it with some, some folks here. It's like, do you not know history? Do you not know in the last couple thousand years, even since Jesus came, that the world has lived through things like plagues and pandemics and, and you know, wars and rumors of wars and all this? I mean, everything that comes up is like, this is the end of the world. I was wee little, but the Cuban Missile Crisis was like, that's the end of the world. Then something else, that's the end of the world. Jesus saying, don't go after all that stuff. Just keep being who I'm calling you to be. Because then Jesus next says in verse 24, he says, look, just as the lightning flashes and literally lights up the sky from one end to the other, That's the Son of Man in his day. By the way, did you notice what Jesus said? Right now, God is giving man his day and his time. You want to do life that way? Fine. You do it. But the king is saying, I'm coming, and I'm going to have my day. Man's not going to be able to do all that he's doing forever Oh, when I come, things are going to change very drastically and dramatically and suddenly and for many unexpectedly. But what Jesus is also saying in verse 24 is, when I come, it's going to be global, it's going to be glorious, and no one's going to miss it. So don't worry about missing the second coming of Jesus. The book of Revelation tells us every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, think about that. That means that even those who died and already went into eternity are going to see Jesus when he comes back in all his glory. So don't get caught up in all this crazy hype and all this false doctrine and all that stuff. Stay locked in on what the Bible clearly teaches and keep trusting in Jesus, the king. Because yes, wherever the king is honored and recognized and acknowledged that's where his kingdom is and his kingdom is right here right now in primarily a spiritual behind the scenes invisible way but my friends the king is coming one day the king is coming one day are you ready for the king to come Because only those who are living by the values of his kingdom will be ready when he comes. Because things are going to be so different when he comes back. 
In verse 26 and 28, notice something else that Jesus says that's remarkable. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, verse 26, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 28, just like it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. What's Jesus saying? Well, notice if you read that passage, it's not like anything necessarily terribly bad. What Jesus is simply describing is business as usual. That's, that's what he's describing. In other words, just the rhythm and routine of everyday life. What makes that so remarkable? We as human beings are really good at resetting ourselves back to normal. And no matter how dramatic something is, we try to get back to that as quickly and as soon as possible. And not that that's bad in and of itself, but when it comes to God and, and, and being in touch with God and having a relationship with God and having maybe eternal values and different priorities and all of that, many times as human beings, you know, we make all kinds of promises and stuff to God when we're going through crisis, but then after the crisis is over, it's like it's business as usual. It's like God doesn't exist anymore. I'm not really going to worry about going to church and reading my Bible and praying and, and making spirit, my spiritual growth and life a priority because I'm just going to go back to the way I want to do things. And the reason why what Jesus is saying here is so remarkable is let's not forget that between his first coming and his second coming, when he sets up his kingdom, there's another prophetic event that's actually the next thing on God's calendar. And that's the event called the rapture of the church. And that's when Jesus doesn't set foot on the earth, but stays in the clouds of heaven and literally calls all of his people off planet earth to go be with him for seven years during then what's called the great tribulation that happens on the earth and the rise of the Antichrist. If you're a Christian, you'll never have to go through the great tribulation or the rule of the Antichrist on earth. You, are, you and I are spared that because we are children of the king. And the Bible teaches that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first but then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. It's what it means to be raptured and we will meet the Lord in the air and be reunited with all of the saints of all time and the Bible says so we shall always be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So now think about this. The rapture has taken place. Millions of Christians from all over the world have literally been taken off the planet. And yet within seven years, before Jesus comes back the second time, it's business as usual. It's as if, well, no big deal. And, and I got to tell you, just my own personal opinion, this is not from the Bible, so don't go out of here saying it. I'm just telling you, this is what Jeff's speculation is, and that's different from God's word. I think that's one of the reasons why you continually hear increasing reports and, and belief in and, and focus on and interest in UFOs and aliens. Because I believe that probably like today, 
if all of us as Christians were raptured today, that if we could watch CNN and Fox News and all of that after it was over, I think that primarily what they would be saying is, the aliens came and took all of these people and took them off the earth. And that's how people are going to reconcile what's happened. And yet within seven years, Jesus says, business as usual. It's not going to really change the hearts of most people on the earth. They're going to be, as Jesus says, they're going to be marrying and giving people in marriage and going about their day and going to, to work and all of that. And yet Jesus is going to come. Look at verse 30. The same will be true when the Son of Man is revealed. That word revealed means that Jesus one day will be seen for who he really is in all of his glory. See, when Jesus came as a human being the first time, from the baby born in Bethlehem to Joseph and Mary, growing up externally, physically, he didn't look like any... Buddy special? He looked just like another human being. Oh, but when the king of glory comes the next time, he's coming in all of his glory. That's why John writes in Revelation 19, he says, I saw heaven open. John is given a, a revelation of what that second coming is going to look like so that he can tell us about it. He says, I saw heaven open, and there's a white horse, and I saw one riding that white horse, and his name was called Faithful and True. And he went out riding on that right white horse in justice and righteousness, going forth this time not to save and not to offer salvation, but going forth now to the earth to judge and to make war. And John says, when I saw him, his eyes were like a fiery flame, and he had on his head many diadem crowns. I saw the armies of heaven following him on white horses. And I saw on his clothing and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Because the king is coming. And the king is Jesus. Are you ready for the king to come? That's why Paul writes that because Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to humble himself and take upon human flesh and become obedient even to the death of a cross, Paul writes, God the Father highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus is saying, I am the king. And it wouldn't have mattered if every human being ever born 
rejected Jesus as king. That doesn't change anything. Jesus does not need the recognition and acknowledgement of human beings in order to make him king. He is king. And he will always be the king. But he came so that you and me could be a part of his eternal kingdom. That's how much he loves us. And he wants every last human being to be a part of that kingdom. He's not willing that any should perish. And so that's why the king came the first time, to suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. But he only dies for sins once. The next time he comes, he comes to literally set up his kingdom on earth. And he wants you to be a part of it. Do you know the king? Has there been a time where you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know the king today? And are you ready if he would come today? I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. As they're coming, folks, I want to invite any and all of you to come and join me here. You won't be alone. I'll be right here. If you would like to give your heart to Jesus today, you come and let us share how you can know for sure because John writes, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Let us celebrate with you. We won't embarrass you. If I could, I'd be dancing up here with you. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. But you just want to come on Easter Sunday and say, Jesus, yes. You are my king. And I want to live differently for you from this day forward. Whatever God is stirring in your heart, moving in your life, leading you to do, you just obey the Spirit of God as we sing this great song, Till I See You, Till I See You. Would you stand with me? We're going to just end with a moment of prayer, and then we're going to go right in to our time of worship as we end Easter Sunday. Seize this opportunity, folks. Don't let this day pass. Father, we thank you today that the king has already come. He came to lay down his life so that we could have life through him. Thank you, God, for the love that drew Jesus from heaven to earth. Thank you, God, for the offer of salvation, a free gift that we could never earn or work for, but simply accept by faith. And God, thank you that you promise us that things always aren't going to be what they are on earth, but that you're going to come and make things right one day, make things right for all of eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live also as, as your people in hope that this is the only hell we will ever know. 
And Lord, that you tell us that we have enough in you to hold on and hang in there by your supernatural power until you come and get us. So Lord, until that day, may we position ourselves continually looking to you, the author and finisher of our faith. These things we pray in the name of not only our Lord and Savior, but of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.